let's jump into our series. We've been in this teaching series uh, that's basically revolved around this phrase, when we pray, God fill in the blank. Um, started off, when we pray, God does the most. God gives us more grace. God abounds grace to us so that we have enough to live and enough to give. Um, that was week one. Last week, Jeremiah, he carried on the series, when we pray, God does what God wants to do and it's good. Um, I don't know if that's how actually how he articulated it, but it's something around that. Um, and this week we'll go on with a story from a man named Elisha. So if you want to turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 6, we'll read verses uh, 6 through 8. 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. When you're there, let's stand together and read this together. Second Kings chapter six, verse six through eight, um, it says, once the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, at such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God, that's Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel, beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are, grow- are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used to warn him so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and he said, which one of y'all are a spy? Uh, will you not show me who, is, who of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, none, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And he said, go and see where he is, that I might send and seize him. It was told him, behold, he was at Dothan. So he sent three, he sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. When the servants of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And he said, this is Elisha, don't be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he might see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, This is not the way, this is not the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. As soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they might see. So the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. As soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? And he answered, You shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Maybe. Set bread and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast, And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away and they went to their master and the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. Do me a favor. Help me preach today. Um, Can you say say to someone next to you, when we pray, the doctor does his work. Let's do that one more time. When we pray, the doctor goes to work. Um, Father, thank you for your word. Open our eyes that we might see you. Amen. You can, you can have a seat. 
So we have all been here before. Um, this young cat, this servant, he wakes up uh, to go get the newspaper on this random morning and he walks outside and he sees a million man militia surrounding the city, guns and cannons pointed right at him. We've all been there before. He, he says to himself, this don't look too good. I've been there before looking at something that don't look too good. Looks like this conversation is going to lead to another broken relationship. This don't look too good. Uh, looks like money's getting tight and it might get tighter. This don't look too good. Looks like because I'm following Jesus and just the way of Jesus is, is in opposition to what's the popular vote right now, I might end up having some social consequences for sticking with scripture. This don't look too good. We've been there before looking at something that don't look too good. And so this servant, he says, what, what are we going to do? I've been there. What, what am I going to do about this? What can I do about this? Is there a good option? It doesn't look like I can do anything. This ain't going to be good. I'll just do nothing. What's the point? We've been there before, looking at something that don't look too good, and you think, I can't do anything about this. I'll just do nothing. The servant's human, so I imagine along with these thoughts of this don't look too good, his his heart's starting to cave, his stomach's starting, starting to turn, he's probably starting to feel anxious, fearful. We know for a fact he's feeling fearful. I've been there. Anxious. Restless at night. Walking around on edge because I'm waiting for everything to hit the fan. Every room I walk into, I'm, I'm, I'm angry, I'm apathetic, I'm anxious. Everything I look at is through this filter of this one thing that don't look too good. We've all been there before. Here, here he is. What, what are we, what are we going to do? And then this cat, Elijah, Elijah doesn't even get out of bed. This dude, Elijah's like, you good. Don't be afraid. The, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. I'm getting ahead of myself, but Elijah paraphrases, he's saying, God with us is greater than them. This is the pattern of the scripture. God and people constantly address anxiety, fear, hopelessness, desperation, loss, pain, everything by saying, God's with you. Moses said, don't fear, God will be with you. David said, even though I walk through the darkest valleys, I won't fear because God is with me. God himself says, don't fear because I'll be with you wherever we go. Here's the first point in the introduction. God's answer to our problem is always God. What kind of answers do we pass around to each other when we have a problem? We'll, We'll say stuff to each other like, it's not that bad. It's never as bad as it seems. Well, what if it is? Or we'll say this to each other. You got this. God gives his toughest battles to his strongest warriors. What if I don't? When I have a problem, I don't need a friend coming to me like a pacifier telling me what it's not. I don't need a friend coming to me like a cheerleader telling me what I am. I need a friend coming to me as a preacher telling me who God is, what God can do, where God is. God's always the answer to our problems. How often have you been hurt, beat down, disappointed by that baptized naivety? 
with that Christian denial of reality. I don't need that. I need God. But we all know that. We all know God's the answer to our problems. This is Sunday school. What's, what's the answer to the question? Jesus? We, we know that. But even though I, I, I know God's the answer to my problem, and I'll say it on Sunday, I still find myself on Tuesday night restless. What, what, do, what do we do with this gap between what we say on Sunday morning and what, how we live on Tuesday night? On Sunday morning, I'll come in here and say, you are my hope. You are my strength. My confidence is in you. And on Tuesday night, I, I'm, I'm sleepless because I stayed up all night trying to figure out how I'm going to fix this thing. What do we do with that? I don't know if it's my own thoughts or the accuser, but when I'm in this gap, I'll hear this thought in my head. You fraud. Did you mean those words? Are you actually following Jesus? You got the nerve to go in there and sing those words. Let's make it perfect. You got the nerve to get up there and preach on a Sunday. You're fake. What, what, what do we do when we're in this gap between what we say on Sunday and how we live on Tuesday night? What do we do with the gap between Sunday school and Tuesday? What does God have for us? The, 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 this is the good news of this passage is that this, this young man is in the same spot we've been in. So whatever God has for him, God has for us. So let's walk through this and see what God has for us as we live in this gap. Elisha, he, he says, he says, you're good. God's with you. That ain't the first time the serv- that servants heard that. He's been following Elisha. This is the greatest Bible college at the time. He's heard, he's heard all the stories about what God did through Elijah. And he's literally spending his time with the prophet of God, the person. So he's seen all the stuff. He knows all the stuff. Elisha doesn't just stop at telling him that God's with him. Elisha, he, he says, God. And then God leans over. He says, open his eyes so that he can see. It says, God reached down, pulled his spiritual eyelids open. And it says, this man, he sees uh, uh, army, chariots of fire all around him. This is heaven's armies. The Bible will call it angels' armies, if you will. Um, uh, Matthew Henry, he says that the servant seeing heaven's armies, it's implying that he's seeing God with them. Elisha prayed, God, open his eyes so he can actually see it. The New Testament and the Old Testament both have this concept of eyes open. It's, it's, it's called spiritual perception. Uh, look at how the Dictionary of Bible Themes defines spiritual perception. It says, spiritual perception is the ability to see beneath the outward form to the underlying, often hidden reality. It is a necessary gift in dealing with people, understanding spiritual teaching, and interpreting events. Spiritual perception is the ability to see the often unseen reality. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says that often unseen reality, the ultimate reality is God. So, so spiritual perception is the ability to see the reality of the unseen God. So, 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 so here's, here's a picture of spiritual perception. Um, I heard a preacher tell this story. It's fake. Okay. I'll just say it all up front. It's fake. Um, this, um, I told a story a few weeks ago about a preacher story and there's a man who comes to our church who he's been a preacher twice my lifetime and he retired recently and I told this preacher story. And he said, son, I've been preaching for 50 years, and I want you to know that story was old when I started preaching. <laughs> um, so what do I do? I double down with another one. Um, 
so this preacher started telling this story and he, he's, he's talking about a friend. He said it's holiday season. So this guy is Christmas shopping for his wife and his, and his family and, and he's late to Christmas shopping. So now he's stressing, trying to get in this mall and get out, trying to get there before the stuff's gone. And he's driving through this parking lot and he can't find a parking spot. And so he starts to pray and he says, God, if you help me find a parking spot, I promise I'm going back to church. I'm done cussing. I'll be nice to people. I'll give my whole life to you. And the preacher said that that a spot opened up right in the front, uh, by the front door. And the guy said, never mind, God, I found one. (laughs) That man didn't recognize God. Spiritual perception is the ability to recognize God. I read a quote earlier. This guy wrote an article and he said, I look back over my life. And even when I couldn't see God's face, I saw his hand. That's what spiritual perception is. It's the ability to recognize God's hand working. It's the ability to recognize God's hand working in, in your health being better. It's the ability to recognize God's hand working and stuff just working out. Spiritual perception is the ability to see God's hand work. Look at what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says when he, um, when he uh, is describing a person who has the spiritual perception. He says, because he looks only to God, he is able to look at the reality of the world freely. And without prejudice, all things appear distorted if they are not seen and recognized in God. What's he saying? He's saying, as we see God and all things in relation to God, we're seeing things as they really are. This is your grasp on reality. We have some very unrealistic ways of seeing the world. As we naturally are, we're unable to actually see God. We, we have fallen faculties. God made the mind, the soul, the heart to gaze on him because of sin. We're blind to him. We need the spiritual perception. The spiritual perception, it comes in prayer. Look at what Tim Keller says. He says, prayer in all its forms, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and petition, it reorients your view and vision of everything. Prayer brings new perspective because it puts God back into the picture. Merely addressing God verbally about our needs, fears, hopes, concerns, questions, perplexities, and sins almost immediately forces us to think differently about him. Just because you prayed. How's that happen? Martin Luther says that the Holy Spirit himself preaches here in prayer. One word of the Holy Spirit sermon is better than a thousand of my own prayers. Many times I've learned more from one prayer because the Holy Spirit spoke to me than I might have learned from much reading and speculation. He's saying, in this prayer, the Holy Spirit, he's revealing to you, he's communicating to you, he's preaching to you, this is who God is. Do you see him? Can I suggest that if you're not saying anything to God about it, you're not seeing it as it really is? If you're not praying about it, you're not perceiving reality? If prayer is where we get this grip on reality, our lack of prayer about a situation is delusion. I know you like to think, ah, I'm a realist. I call it how it is. Not if you ain't praying about it. I I understand. No, not if you're not praying about it. This this might be the key. The, The gap between what we say and how we live it might close as we see. As I, as I see the truth, as I see God, the gap between what I say about God and how I live in response to that, it begins to close. Maybe the best thing that we could do for ourselves 
when we're in a spot where things don't look too good is just to stop and say, God, help me see. Maybe the best thing you could do for a friend who's in a bad spot is not to berate them, not to argue with them, but do like Elisha did and say, God, help them see. Help them see. And he's going to answer. How do I know? He did it before. I've got a homeboy in college, um, blind as a bat, terribly blind. Uh, couldn't see if you're 15 feet in front of him. Bad. No one actually rode with him when he drove. Terrible, terrible driver. Then um, one day his girlfriend or somebody started talking to him about this uh, person named an ophthalmologist. Um, so all of us were like, what? Don't cuss at me like that. Um, what is an ophthalmologist? And so his girlfriend shows him all these reviews and people talking about the ophthalmologist who says, this person changed my life. I was blind. Now I can see. I see clearly now. And so my friend's convinced to go see this ophthalmologist. So he goes and sees the ophthalmologist and the ophthalmologist starts telling him about this thing called LASIK eye surgery and gets my friend to do it. Um, does the surgery on my friend, sends my friend back to the dorms with these weird 3D glasses on uh, for a few hours. He's finally able to take them off. And my friend's like, I can see clearly now. The rain is... He, he, he starts saying, I didn't know you could see street lights when you were driving. I didn't know you could read signs. I didn't know trees were that green. Drawn, I didn't know you looked that good. <laughs> he didn't say that, but preacher story. Um, and then he starts telling us all about the, the, the LASIK. He says, you got to get the LASIK. It'll fix your problems. It'll give you perfect vision. Your, your life will be better. It'll pay off your student loans. Just get the LASIK. It's so good. Watching my friend, I learned that the ophthalmologist specialized in giving sight. Let me stimulate your faith. Your God is the great doctor who specializes in giving sight. How do I know? He made a house call to his friends. He, he, he who dwelled in glory stepped into our world, took on the tag of Jesus, and he went to work on us. He first came and he accurately diagnosed our problem. He told a man, Nicodemus, who thought he knew stuff about God but didn't really know anything about God. He said, unless you're born again, you can't even see this stuff unless you're born again. You know what that means. Um, I, I play music in my car all the time. I love music. Uh, if you're in my car, you're listening to music. If I had a caterpillar in my car, that caterpillar wouldn't be able to enjoy that music, wouldn't be able to sing along with the songs, wouldn't even be able to notice that there's music playing, doesn't have the capacity to. Even if that caterpillar lived its best life and became a butterfly, it still wouldn't even be able to notice the music. The only way that caterpillar would be able to notice that music is if that caterpillar, caterpillar became something completely different that had the capacity. If it became like a human or something, what Jesus is saying, when you got to be born again to see God, he's saying, you don't grow into recognizing God. You don't improve yourself into recognizing God. You got to be something different. You got to be made into something new that has the capacity to see God. Not only did he diagnose your problem, but he fixed it. He fixed it. He did dirty work. You know, Jesus does dirty work, right? In the beginning, this is Genesis 1 and 2. He wanted to make man, so he, 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 Got a handful of dirt, breathed into it, and boom, there's a whole human. He created a whole human by doing dirty work. Not only that, he came into the flesh, and this, this Jesus who created humanity 
by working in the dirt, walked up to a blind man who couldn't see, and he picked up some more of that same dirt that he used to create that man, spinning it and rubbed it on that man's eyes, and with that dirt gave that man a whole new set of eyes. He recreated that man's eyes by doing dirty work. This is Jesus who recreated a whole humanity and who created a whole new set of eyes by doing dirty work, creates a whole new you by doing a dirtier work. This is the Jesus who dwelled in the perfect purity of deity, put on the weakness of humanity, braved the shame of crucifixion, gave himself to the grips of death, rested in the shadows of uh, the tomb, got up in the triumph of life, stepped back into the glory of his throne, breathed his spirit into your dead self. And Paul says that is enough for everyone who believes to become a completely new person. A person who's got a heart that beats for God, a person who's got a mind that harmonizes with God, a person who can see God. Jesus made you new so that you could see God. That man who Jesus healed, he, he told his story and he said, I don't know much, but I know this. I was blind, but now I see. That's all of our stories who've come to Jesus. I, I was blind, but now I see. There was a point where these songs about Jesus didn't affect me. I was blind, but now my soul affirms them. I see. There was a time where the scripture didn't mean much to me. I was blind, but now I believe the truth that they speak. I see. There was a moment where I was completely tone deaf, blind of God, but now I see God. The only reason you recognize God is because you were blind, but he made you to see. That song, Light of the World, he stepped down into your darkness. Open your eyes so that you can see. And if he did it before, he'll do it again. He, he who gave you sight will continue to give you more sight. So what do we do in these moments where we're in this gap? God, God he opens your eyes as you open your mouth. So just talk to him about it. If you're not a follower of Jesus, here, here, if you allow me, here's what I pray for you that God opens your eyes. I can't talk you into this. Your friends can't talk you into this. But God can show you. If you, if you are a follower of Jesus, ask for him to touch you again. There's a time where Jesus, he healed somebody. He gave this person sight and he touched him one time. His vision came back, but it was kind of blurry and then touched him again. Je and then his vision was perfect. Jesus didn't do that because he messed up the first time. Jesus did that to show his disciples. Sometimes you need a second touch and a third touch and a fourth touch and a fifth touch. That's just today. And the sixth touch and the seventh touch. Ask him to touch you again. Jesus, you've, you've opened my eyes enough to believe in you. For salvation, open my eyes to trust you now that life sucks. Jesus, you, you've opened my eyes enough to trust you for life. Open my eyes again so that I could trust you to provide for me. Ask for him to touch you again. So, so Elijah and his servant, they both have this spiritual vision now. I just want to show you what a life looks like really quick when you have spiritual perception. Elijah and his servant, they both have this spiritual perception. And it says this army comes at them. And Elisha says, God, you blind these people. Rewind. If I had heaven's goons on my backside ready to fight with me, you know what I'm doing? I'm going to punch first. 
I'm not asking questions. But Elisha, he doesn't make a move first. The first thing he does is he prays that God would do something. This is a sign of faith. In a sense, Elisha's saying, no, I'm not going to do anything. My first thing is to ask you to do something. Uh, Spiritual perception looks like dependence on God. A life with spiritual perception looks like depending on God. Let's let's lift up this phrase. What am I going to do about this? I'm tired of that phrase leading me to being defeated. I'm tired of that phrase leading me to confusion. I'm tired of that question leading me to hopelessness. I'm tired of that question leading me to impulse and self-destruction. When you have spiritual perception, your vocabulary changes from what am I going to do about this to God, I'm trusting you to do something about this. And so Elijah, he says, God, blind these people. Then God blinds them. And then Elijah says, all right, y'all, come with me. I got somewhere to take you. I know where you want to go. So he walks them all the way into the middle of Samaria. And then the king's like, good, we're going to kill them now, right? Because that's reasonable. And it'd probably be smarter just to kill these dudes. Put them in prison. They won't come back. Elijah says, nah, go to Texas Roadhouse. Get them rolls. Get them sparkling water. Free refills, sit them down, feed them real good. So it says they feed them. And Elisha sends them back with leftovers on the road. And it says they didn't come back again. Uh, Matthew Henry says Elisha, he, he made peace with those people by doing good to his enemies. You know that's a commandment of God in the Old and the New Testament. Do good to your enemies and make peace with them. Elisha, he didn't do what the king thought he ought to do. Elisha didn't do what seemed reasonable or smart in Elisha's own mind to do. Elisha did exactly what God wanted him to do. When when you have spiritual perception, it looks like a life of doing God's will. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer and a man named Christopher Holmes, they say the Christian decision-making process has to go beyond what looks right and what looks good or what looks bad. And we have to start asking the question, no, God, what is your will? And Paul, Colossians 1, Romans 12, Philippians 1, he says, when you have spiritual perception, you're able to discern God's will. Spiritual perception looks like a life of doing God's will. I know we get in these moments where our hands feel tied. This don't look good, and it doesn't look like I've got any good options. Friends, listen to me. God's up to something in everything. So in every situation, his will is available to you which is the best thing. And I'm not saying you'll be infallible at this. We make mistakes. But I'm saying God's will is available to us in every situation. And and the ability to discern it is available to us in every situation. You've played that game, Guitar Hero. Some of y'all played that game where they say, where they say, they put up the red note and they say, press the red note now. And they put up the green note and they say, press the green note now. And they put up the blue one and say, press this now. And winning that game is playing the right note at the right time. This is a life of spiritual perception. It's doing the right thing at the right time. God says, do this now. And when you have spiritual perception, you can discern and do it now. When he says, do this now, when you have spiritual perception, you can discern and do it now. This is what we need. We need God to open our eyes. This is why we pray so much. Because we need God to open our eyes. 
one of our values is we, 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 we look for God's spirit. We look for God's presence by the spirit in the church. We look for what God's doing in this church. We need spiritual perception for that. This is why we pray on Sunday mornings. This is why we have our kingdom comes. This is why we have prayer meetings. This is why we do a week of prayer and fasting because we need to see. Prayer can't be something we don't do because we're not comfortable. I'd much rather see reality and be uncomfortable than be comfortable and be delusional. Not a walk of shame. It's not something we don't do because we think if I ask for prayer, everyone will be seeing me. I'd much rather see reality. So we pray. God opens our eyes and that gap closes. I don't know what you're looking at. Well, you're looking at me right now, but in life, I don't know what you're looking at, but my prayer is that God opens our eyes. I want to pray for you. Let's stand together. If there is something that you're, if you're someone who says, I'm looking at a situation that don't look too good, if you will, let's just put our hands out to receive and say, God, give us sight. We want to see it, Lord. We want to see you. We want to see all things in relation. We want to see things rightly. So show us who you are. Show us where you are. Show us all that you're doing. We want to live a life that's in harmony with you defined and dictated by you. But I do ask that you give us sight, Lord. Amen.